What's going on, everybody? I'm today's host on Adventures in DevOps. I'm Will Button. Joining me in the studio, the co-host of the day, Jonathan Hall. Hey, guys. How's it going? And we have our special guest for today, Tanmay Bot. Tanmay, how are you, bud? Hey, guys. What's cooking? Just stuff. Risotto. My mind's making risotto right now. So that's all right. Oh, so you've got to, so you've got to sit there in your office and listen and smell the wonderful smell of risotto, knowing that you're right. stuck here with me. Yeah, if, if I if I uh, go go quiet after a little while, you know why? It's because I'm eating some risotto. Right. <laughs> Great. All right. So today I'm looking forward to this. We're going to talk about GitOps, but before we start talking about that and figure out what that is, why it's such a cool word, and things like that. Tanmay, do you want to give us a little bit of uh, info on your background? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I mean, DevOps engineer slash no, I started slash cloud engineer. I don't know how everybody wants to check it out. <laughs> because people call You're a guy who does stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, been been doing that for three years. You know, right now, you know, working for, you know, like, you know, US-based, no company, you know, where I said DevOps engineer, again, you know, DevOps slash cloud slash sorry, whatever you want to drag it out. So, been doing that for since three years. And, um, Doing working as an extra consultant also. Yep, taking up freelancing projects here and there. Right on. That's a gr- that's a great intro because that comes up. I talk a lot with uh, people who are just starting their DevOps career, and many of them are like, mm-hmm. "Oh, I don't know if I should focus on DevOps or SRE or cloud engineering." I'm like, "It's kind of all the same, man." All the same. <laughs> <laughs> If you can get a little more money using one word instead of the other, go with that route. <laughs> but the actual work is the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So cool. So tell us. Documentations all the day. That's what you do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv, and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, Right. So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, That's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So give us us an introduction to GitOps. All right. Yeah, cool. So traditionally, uh, when it comes to DevOps, right? So basically, when DevOps came to the picture from the Google Google side, so the the, the primary target of that job work was basically to handle the deployments. So that, you know, there was mostly not, you know, there was a lot of universal way of deploying stuff automatically because DevOps is basically, you know, the guy who does automation for for most of the releases part of the deployment. There are other deployments. And the problem is there is no one way or one tool where you can, you know, or one probably, how how do you call it, is one theory 
from which you can de- deploy stuff to the production. That's where the GitOps came up. And uh, as right now, DevOps has highly cost, right? So basically, everything should be as infra as code, right? So, you know, even if someone deletes it, everything should be, you know, patchable. Everything should be, you know, readily deployable. That's what the idea is. That's where GitOps comes in. And GitHub follows a principle called, you know, everything should be in Git. Whatever you do, whatever you do to show in an application, everything should be in a format of Git. So the idea is, uh, you know, a, a regular developer pushes his code into, the, into his own repository in the Git, and you deploy GitHub's tool, and there are numerous ways, you know, and that tool automatically uh, pulls it, that, that Git repository, every three minutes. And whatever, that's the default value. So once that pulls it, if there's a new change, it will automatically apply that in, onto your cluster. So there is no basically no, no manual way of deploying stuff. You know, it's all automatic. And since everything is stored as Git, you can go back. You now you can version control. You can you know control how things are applied, what kind of version you're deploying, all those stuff, all the minute details. Right on. The thing that I really like about that, there's mm-hmm. actually two things. One is it follows the exact same process that a lot of software engineering teams use for deploying their code. So you're familiar, so you get familiar with that process and you also get kind of get to eat your own dog food. Like you're telling your software developers that you're supporting, Hey, you got to use this Git workflow. And now you're having to use it too for your own infrastructure. And then you get the other part I like about that is just you get the benefits of opening pull requests and seeing like side by side changes of what's about to be deployed. Or you get the Git history to see what happened to this infrastructure in the past. Exactly. So now, in a primitive architecture, consider an example like Jonathan, right? So you, as a manager, tell to Jonathan, hey, Jonathan, go to the production and deploy this stuff. Now, there is no 100% way of verifying that is Jonathan deploying this stuff correctly or not. Because you're basically trusting Jonathan's instincts, right? And this, you know, his you know, knowledge and skills of basically how he you knows efficiently is deploying stuff. So that's not a way to mention in software deployment. So that's where the GitOps comes in. Yeah, since it's automated, it will work. That's the idea. So, what difference do you see between GitOps and just CI/CD uh, and automated deployments? What's what's the difference there? So, in GitOps, basically, the idea is you should not manually deploy anything into production or staging, whatever the environment is. Nobody should you not know, touch it or you not know, deploy stuff manually. Everything should be automated. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. Yes, and everything should be that, automated only by Git. Git. Git is the source of truth. Is that, That's the idea. Okay. So is that any different than just the standard deployment deployment automation that we see in CI/CD before the GitOps term was was popularized? I would say yes, because in the, in the primitive CI/CD, what you might have used mostly the Jenkins part, right? So Jenkins is not a polling mechanism, right? So it's, it's kind of like a pushing mechanism. You trigger something, then only the Jenkins does some does some trigger some workloads or something. It's not an automated polling mechanism for a workload. Okay, so you just make the distinction between whether Git initiates. The, or whether it's a pull, I guess you're making a distinction between pull and, and versus push, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. All right. And then a related question: what, What's the relationship between GitOps and infrastructure as code? Yeah, so it seems like similar concepts too, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Both the same. So in infra as code, you keep the all the infra part, and in GitOps, you keep the all the application configuration part. Now, how you want your application to be deployed? That's the only difference. Both follow the same principle. I want to expand on that a little bit too. Um, one key difference in my, in my opinion, between infra as code and GitOps is you can do infra as code and run Terraform apply from your desktop. But if you're doing Git, GitOps, you can't do Terraform apply from your desktop. You have to let the CI CD server do that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a, so there are a couple of tools that are right now popular. One of the major one is Argo CD. 
and the second, you know, the right now the popular tool is Fluxed. So both of the tools, you know, comes with their own CLIs where you can trigger the you know deployments or the releases manually. But that's that's what you know people they you know, don't you know prefer to do that because if you're doing doing it manually, you're you know going against the you know GitOps way because you're not letting the kid do the deployments. You're doing it manually. That's the idea. But both comes with you know manual overrides. I hadn't heard of Flux CD before. I'm just checking out their website. Yeah. Yeah, I've used that at a previous company. Yeah. And they, they take they take it one step further. And where you're actually committing uh, Kubernetes manifests to Git, so it's not even it's not even like Helm commands or kubectl commands. You're you, you literally store your Kubernetes manifests in Git, and whenever you make a change, yeah, they get deployed that way. So they use customized as a backend, you know, to generate the config maps and environment variables, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, on the backend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So customize, if you don't know, it's a, a very famous you know Kubernetes cloud native you know template generation tool. Uh, it stands for key for customize. I've seen customize a lot. I haven't used it though. Yeah. I keep seeing the name pop up. Same. So basically I it's an, you know, alternative to Helm in a way where, you know, you can substitute variables, you know, templatize them. Yeah. But Helm got uh, weird. Yeah. Cool. Right on. So who should use GitOps in your opinion? Ideally, you know, uh, people should start, you know, implementing because now, you know, it's 2022 and, you know, everything is right now cloud native way. But the problem is you, at least, you know, let's say you're running a company and I offer, let's say you're running 20 clusters and you want to implement suddenly you know, your CTO says, Hey man, you know, this looks pretty cool. Let's just implement it. But it's not just that much damn easy. The problem is in your team, you should have someone who knows this GitHub principle. Otherwise, you know, it's just proper, you know, jackass stuff. Yeah. Because nobody knows what, what's happening. You know, if the reconciliation fails, if the deployment fails, you don't know where to debug because there are 15 ways to look at logs. Yeah. So if you don't have someone who knows GitOps in a company, I would say you'd rather stay away from it. Yeah. Because it looks right. fancy right. on the front end, but when things fail, it's a true pain. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good advice. It looks great till you get it up to speed and then you got to figure out where the brakes are. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, you you already started to answer what was going to be my next question, which is who should not use GitOps. But uh, it, it sounds like your answer. It's, it's, I think your answer is similar to my answer. Who should use Kubernetes? Exactly. If yeah. somebody on your team understands Kubernetes, go for it. It's a great, powerful it. tool. Yeah. But if you don't understand it, it's going to drive you crazy. Exactly. Because <laughs> if, if you don't know Kubernetes, man, I would say why are you not learning about Kubernetes? That's my first question in 2022. If you're in DevOps field, you should pay church. Otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, there's conditions between you know, DevOps and sysadmin. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. So, what about use cases? Like, let, let's imagine that you do have somebody with GitOps on your team or in your company. Mm-hmm. Are there still use cases where it doesn't make sense, where you shouldn't use GitOps? Okay, so it doesn't make sense when you, know, you have a release cycle which are very extremely strict. Let's say in a in a corporate companies, right? You know, in a big MNCs, so they have you know the release management extremely strict. So it comes from, you know, a couple of um, manager approvals. First, your team lead approves it. Next, your engineering manager approves it. Next, your CTO approves it. Then only, you know, it will go to the production. So at this point in time, so that considers in a couple of workflows, right? At least two to three approvals. So GitOps doesn't have a way to have that much kind of granularity for approvals. So you just push it to the, the you know, Git repo. If it has a proper tag and a proper contract, that's it. Bam, it's going to apply to the production. Okay. So if you have that much granularity or the, I would say the artifact-based mechanism, so it's kind of going to hurt you. But yeah. Fair enough. And what do you have any favorite tools that you like to use for GitOps? I mean, I, I, I think it's kind of an umbrella term, so you can use it with all sorts of things. I mean, you wouldn't even have to use Git, right? I mean, you could do 
subversion ops, and it would be the same principles. <laughs> Not that I would recommend that, but it would be possible. <laughs> so what, what tools do you usually use or recommend for, for doing GitOps? Okay, so if someone is a very newbie and you know he's just coming to the GitOps DevOps and is just reading all the fancy words, man, hey man, the new hiring, you know, recruiting manager says, you know, I should know GitOps. What should I learn? I would say just go for the Argo CD. It's fairly simple. You can learn it in you know, five ten minutes. It's very easy. Just install it and you know, bam, man, it's good to go. And it's a, the important stuff about Argo CD is for the new you know, for the newbies, it has a UI where you can learn and see what exactly it's doing. And you can even do a lot of operations. You can even you know, sync the application. That is basically new releases. You can delete, refresh. You can do all kind of operations, whatever you're doing from the CLI or the automated way. GitOps, you can do it manually via the UI. So I would say that's one best way to learn how GitOps actually works in real. So because Flux is 100% GitOps. They don't have anything. There's nothing. There's no UI, nothing else. So that principle is you commit something to Git repo. If it's correct, we'll automatically pull it and apply it to the cluster. That's the idea. So. I would say for the new newcomers, go for the Algo CD because it has a UI and you'll learn better. Okay, good. Good advice. Let me ask this because I've been on the fence with this. Do you feel that, you know, so we, we mentioned that Argo has the ability to go in and change things from the UI. Do you feel that mm-hmm. that violates the GitOps core principle and the fact that you didn't do that through <laughs> making a Git change? <laughs> exactly. That's 100% true. That, that's basically, so that's the reason, you know, in, in our current company, we're changing from Argo C to Flex. If somebody is able, you know, just click on delete some deployments from the UI, it's basically, that's not GitOps, right? Yeah. So that's right, cool. Sense. So we're on the same page there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's the reason actually Flex was born. I mean, on, on a major, ah. major hand. Yeah, because you don't have a UI. You can't do, do something like that. Yeah. If you want a UI, by the way, from, for Flex, you can use uh, Weave. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah. It's the same company. But it's, it's their company. paid offering that does provide a UI for it. Yeah. But that yeah. UI, every, any change you make through the UI is manifested in Git. So it's not, it's not like you have two choices. You can do it the Git way or you can, you know, magically muck around in the UI. Everything yeah. in the UI is committed to Git. So nice. Uh, nice. Uh, so I tried it. So the one problem I found is basically it's just not a centralized way. For example, in Argo CD, right? So let's say you have five clusters. And you want to implement GitOps on all of them, and you want to obviously install Argo CD in all of them. You can have one Argo CD as a centralized mechanism where everything is sent to the other four clusters from one one service, basically like a proper cluster architecture. One master, other other workers, and you can connect all of those clusters into one single UI. You can manage everything and see what each cluster in one place did and start. That's not possible with GitOps right now. That's the only problem that I face in the UI part, by the way. Nice. I mean, I have a suggestion for the new ways. So, some you know, someone is hearing GitOps as you know a really cool keyword or something like that. If you're seeing it, you know, recruiter pushing it out, just don't do it just because of the sake of you know, like want to get hired or you know, get some good good package or something like that. You, you just got to understand why do we even need GitOps in the 2022? Like you know, or why does your company even push for a GitOps? Or what's the you know, drawbacks of the you know previous monolithic deployments and why it's on the GitOps way? Then do it. Just mm-hmm. just don't Google you know. How to get into the opportunity and go and do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if we're going to go down the GitOps path, mm-hmm. let's say that we've got, let's say that we've for years and years, we've been operating on the craft beer brewery micro artisanal approach where everything's handcrafted and aged in bourbon barrels. <laughs> and we're going to go down to GitOps. What's your recommendation on how to get started with that? Hmm. I would say uh, start with small. So 
just first learn proper guitar again the same principles of guitar first one should understand before you know going for any tool right so if you just again the google like how to get into you know guitar there will be first two three results each will you know sell, try to sell their own products even though they you know try to make it in the cloud you know cloud native bullshit it doesn't work so you just first understand why the guitar why guitar and then try to figure out the is it even a requirement for your company it's not like you yeah. know everyone is doing guitar just you know just do it apply it doesn't work like that right does it even require your company and when you apply guitar principles to your company does it actually help the developer or you know engineering productivity is it a, Going to help or not? That's the first point you have to consider. I would say. So after that, you start very small. Try to onboard one or one or two applications in the dev cluster or something like that. See how it behaves. Try to make it couple of other releases. See how it changes. See how it reconciles. So once you have proper you know proper strategy, then you know implement. Try to implement granular way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be a time-consuming process, right? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So onboarding yeah. users from the GitHub is actually a pain in the ass. The problem is you have to define manifest for <laughs> you have to define manifest for each of the applications you're basically onboarding. That that's how GitOps works. There's no there's no automation for that. So let's say if you're on a, running a company like Netflix where you have 200 microservices, you have to define 200 YAML documents. There's no other way. Yeah. There's no uh, right click save as GitOps. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's an important thing to point out over someone starting out in GitOps is, is it is. If you're converting your existing practices over, it's a long, long tedious journey. process. Yeah. So make sure that you set expectations with your management and the stakeholders accordingly that this is not a, um, a Friday afternoon type project. <laughs> yeah. And exactly. And one more, you know, everyone should take a note of it. If they're trying to implement GitHub is basically, let's say someone, someone's running, you know, AWS code deploy and AWS code pipeline instead of Argo CD or Flux CD as a GitHub tool. The thing is, since you're already an AWS customer, even if you face something, you know, you know, like hackle in the, in the deployment, you can just open the AWS support ticket and ask them, hey man, why is this not working, right? As a DevOps engineer. But the problem with, you know, GitHub, which is basically an open source tool is, you can't ask someone, there is no support. So you gotta <laughs> learn the tool completely before you know, implementing in the production. Yeah. Because no one else will have to save you except community support where then someone will reply after a week or something like that. That's the thing. That's the drawback of using open source tools, I'd say. But yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. So for so we've got Git as our backend repository for our infrastructure code, pushing it out using Flux or Argo CD. Mm-hmm. Do Flux and Argo CD or possibly any of the other tools do live polling? To see if to verify that the last deployed state is actually what's running out in production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So they both run. You know, they internally run the Git diff to see what's the current manifest. So that's actually the core principle of Kubernetes. Also, if you look at it, so they have each Kubernetes manifest will have three layers: the current one, the actual one, and the last modified version. So they'll try to match it. That's what Git does also, and in Kubernetes also, when you just do kubectl so apply hyphen f some deployment document. That's what the deployment does if there's already a deployment running. If you don't know, Helm 3, which is basically the newest version of Helm, exactly does the same way. So Helm does four-way git diff before applying something. Wait, there's Helm 3 now? How long has that been out? Well, like two or three it years or something. It's been a while. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. I thought I was I thought I was behind again. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, you will be soon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, 2000, uh, November 2019. Yeah, it's been a little while. Okay, good. Good, good. I should be okay. 
Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So here's the thing. So what do you guys think about, you know, how does one survive, one should survive in the DevOps industry? Because every day there's a new tool coming out. So a startup like that, you know, you just want every new tool to be implemented in the company, which is basically in the name of, you know, improving company productivity. So how one should survive in the, you know, like flashing, blazingly fast, you know, DevOps industry? So for me, I take the Forrest Gump approach. I just kind of wander through. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say you never know what you're going to get. Right. I was, I was trying to come up with something clever there, but I, I totally <laughs> failed. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to get a new comedy comedy host on the show because <laughs> I'm bombing. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a reality because, you know, like me, you know, being in the, in the DevOps industry for three years, right? And every day I see a new tool. And uh, after, let's say, the tool has been launched, I'll get, get a little bit of you know, publicity. So Cloud cloud Foundation, you know, Cloud Collaborative Foundation, this, you know, take it as an incubator project, you know, push it, you know, give it a way bigger marketing budget, and bam, that's it. That tool is famous now. So everybody's supposed to use it. Yeah, for sure. No, there's a lot of, um, that happens a lot. And I think it contributes a lot to the imposter syndrome because you're exactly. learning stuff. The key takeaway of your learning when you first start doing DevOps is you learn about all the stuff that you don't know and it just gets to feel overwhelming. And I've been doing this for a really, really long time. And my approach on it is just don't worry about it. You know, whenever it's, it's sort of like the old, a twist on the old, philosophy statement when the student is ready the teacher will appear and i kind of treat treat my technical skills the same way you know i continue to work on them but i don't really freak out over what i don't know because whenever i need it i'll go learn it and and so i don't try to learn things that i don't have a, an immediate use case for exactly that, that that's uh, i would say i take that's a perfect answer because for example just to give an example like how things are so you have Terraform as a you know, infra code uh, tool, right? Which has been there in the market since like four or five years. And a lot of even big companies have implemented that. Because that's easy for them to you know, maintain, right? And the problem is there are at least 10 to 15 tools which is born out of Terraform. Like TerraGrunt, TerraCode, blah, 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 stuff. So these are the new, new companies which are being launched every month. So the name, the, it's again an imposter syndrome. If somebody, you know, like for example, if, is, if someone is approaching as a DevOps engineer interview for a smart startup, so if the, you know, engineering manager, whoever is taking the interview, if he's like, you know, fond of new tools, he'll definitely ask, hey, since you have worked on Terraform, do you know this thing? We are using that in the company. But that, that guy doesn't have an answer because that tool just launched two months ago. Right. <laughs> so, Jonathan, what's your approach on that? Sorry, what was the question? Approach on which part? For staying up to date with all of the, oh. the latest tools and technologies and... Don't. Don't even try. Yeah. <laughs> that's the best approach. Yeah, that's how DevOps works. Yeah, don't even try. 
I mean, there are a few places like I I, I kind of keep up on Go. Go one nineteen was just released, so you know I kind of keep up on that. But that's because I use that day to day. I keep up on you know the, the things I use all the time. I more or less keep up on. Uh, I try not to be more than a few weeks out of date uh, for security reasons and you know stuff like that. But like I don't know what the latest version of Kubernetes is. Don't care. Don't know what features are added. When I when I need that, then I'll figure it out. I don't know what the latest version of Helm is. Three point something. I don't know beyond that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just don't. I don't even try. See, it makes no sense, right? So if even if you keep on doing that, you end up learning, you know, ten percent of every single tool out there, which makes no sense because if someone is someone wants to hire you, they want you to learn something really good, right? Not like you learn five percent of everything and all like fifty tools. That makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. One filter that I apply it through is looking at it from the perspective of the customers of our business. You know, like if if I'm considering a new tool or new impl- implication or a new framework or whatever, I think about it like, do our customers using our app actually care if I do this or not? Is it going to benefit them in some way? And so that helps me like kind of like put it into perspective and where it falls for a priority. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's also the same perspective as last time because I'll do- Whenever a new tool comes, I'll just first think, like, is there even a requirement for this? What's the problem statement for this? Yeah. Like, and how do I, even if I apply this to my company, does it really affect something or does it change something? Or just, you know, the solution yeah. So that's the thing. So right. I'm curious to hear if you have opinions on some, like, traps that GitOps might throw at somebody. Uh, if you're getting started or maybe you've been doing it for a while, what are some things that are easy to do wrong that, that people should be aware of? Hmm. Okay. So the, the first thing is, it, for example, if you, let's say if, if someone is working in a really small startup and, and I've seen a lot of in the startups, they don't have a dev or staging environment. They just have one dev, you know, one product cluster. Well, like, because consider a company like, you know, 10, 15 engineering members, right? They don't need a dev environment because, you know, they're just getting started out. The problem is, if you as a developer wants to, you know, implement GitHub there, the first thing would be in GitHub, right now, by out of the box, things it by default and, and they apply automatically. For example, if you're, if, let's say, if right now V1.0 is running via GitHub and developer by mistake, which is V1.2.0 and it was not supposed to go to production, it will go to the production unless you stop it. So that's, that's the thing. So he has to know about what's the, you know, uh, polling intervals. That's the thing. So if you keep it too, too delayed, that's it. Bam, you're gone. You'll bang your head just to see like why deployments are not getting, you know, pushed to the production. And in a lot of, a uh, lot of times, you know, one has to, you know, figure out how do I configure the secrets or basically the Git secrets into the, you know, or for example, like as a Argo CD has a, you know, feature called Argo CD image update. It's an additional package which comes with Argo CD. So what it solves is basically in a, in a traditional GitHub mechanism, if there is no, no image updation, basically the technology exists, Con- consider that. So you have an application repository where you show your application configs, including Argo CD configs. Now, a developer has you now pushed a new Docker image into the inner container registry, be it be Docker Hub, GCR, GCR, whatever it is. So V1.0 was running, he pushed V2.0. And the problem is, he didn't update the, 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 the newer version image stack in the Argo CD config in the Git. So now, he was expecting that, you know, hey, you know, my newer version of application code will be deployed, but it's not. So that's what Argo CD does uh, automatically without image updater is it will try to, you know, match the configurations of which is in the Git into the running cluster. That's the you no know, principle GitOps. So whatever is right now in the Git should exactly match right now in the you know, pr- you know whatever the cluster is being implemented on. Problem right now is how do you uh, update the image tags automatically? Because otherwise it will be a manual task, right? 
So every time you push a new email stack to the content registry, you have to go to the Git repository and then update. So that's to, to figure out that problem, both Flux and Argo CD has image updated tools. Now for Argo CD, it's an additional add-on. For Flux, it comes by default. So what exactly it's trying to solve is if your developer pushes newer image stack into the container registry, so that image update, you know, it is a separate container controller. What it does is at a separate specified intervals, let's say every two minutes or every five minutes, it will try to pull the ECR and see, hey, for this container image, is there a new image stack? If yes, what it will do is it will pull that image stack and it will try to push a new git commit into the Argo series repo saying that, hey, this is the image stack you need to apply because this has been found newly into the ECR repo. So then why, then what happens is since it's a new config change, Argo CD will pull that and apply into the cluster. Bam, and you got v2.0 in your cluster. I know it sounds a little complicated, but it's trying to solve a really good problem. How do you automate image changes? Yeah. This is what, you know, I would say the, the common problem of DevOps is. So unless you have a really good document, half of the people won't be understanding what exactly you're talking about because it's a new one for the first time mostly we'll be hearing about. Right. Yeah, for sure. Documentation and communication across the team not only your team, but the teams that you support, you know, how exactly. do you communicate that effectively? Exactly. Yep. Another, another sort of pitfall I, I've thought of or I've run into is that of reproducible builds, uh, whether that's a Docker image or a compiled program, you, you lose some of the benefit of GitOps or even just automated deployments if you can't roll back to a known version. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you, this is a big problem on, with certain programming libraries or, or, or languages, you know, like Node.js, where the dependency management tends to pull in the latest version every time you build. So you might build you might build and get one one artifact right now, and an hour later you might get something else without changing anything in your own code, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so Go, Go tries pretty hard not to do that with a different uh, dependency resolution algorithm. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you can work around that with Node also by, you know, pinning specific dependencies. Uh, that usually solves the problem with Node yeah. or, or other languages where that's a problem. But if you're, if one of the reasons you're using GitOps is so that you can say, where I've seen this happen is you get a bug report mm-hmm. that happened like a week ago and you've already deployed 15 times since then or a thousand times since then or whatever. Uh, but you can see in the log that this happened on that specific revision and you want to go back and reproduce that bug. You kind of need to be able to reproduce your, your, your environment. So if you don't have reproducible builds, that's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's also really hard to get reproducible builds, even when you have the right tools. Like it with Go makes it more or less easy. It's still really hard because as soon as you put it in a Docker image, you have the same dependency problem again. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have to keep your old Docker images around potentially, or, or at least be able to rebuild them from the same dependencies. And so that, that is a pitfall. Uh, it's more of an advanced one, um, but it can be something to keep in mind for some people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This episode sponsored by Go. <laughs> exactly. Go 1.19 has been just released. Check, check it out. <laughs> it has lots of exciting new changes that uh, actually are not really any changes this time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else we should talk about on GitOps? I'd say we covered pretty much because, yeah. Yeah. If, right. if you have any doubts, keep them coming. Yeah. 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 I feel like we covered it there. Yeah, yeah. If people want to get more info from you on this, how can they, what social media do you hang out on? Yeah. So I'm kind of, you know, I have an imposter syndrome on social media, but I'm available. So you can, you know, mostly the best one would be the Twitter mechanism. Emails are the best, I would say, because that's the best way to you know, reach out and get a quick reply. But yeah, 
man. Bit of good work. All right. Cool. We'll include that in the show notes down below. Yeah. And let's move on to picks. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. You got us some picks, Jonathan? Yeah. So... I like to watch YouTube sometimes when I'm trying to fall asleep or trying not to fall asleep or whatever the case is. And there's a channel I watch sometimes called Technology Connections, which is kind of cool. So I, I guess that'll be my first pick. It's a it's a guy who sits in a room and talks about technology, VCRs or water, you know, lawn sprinklers, just whatever. Usually tech, uh, mechanical things, but sometimes like CRTs, uh, other it just kind of breaks it down and tells you how it works and, and maybe shows you how it works. Toasters, everything. Anyway, he did a recent, well, I don't actually, maybe this is an old one. I watched it recently about smoke detectors. And he turned me on to the difference between two types of common smoke detectors. And so there's optical ones, which he recommends. And I think he convinced me it makes sense. And there's others, I don't remember what they're called, but they basically detect radioactivity in a little thing, a little gel. Watch the video, look for it if you want. But anyway, the point is, we didn't have smoke detectors in our house until I watched this video. I was like, you know, what? I should get some smoke detectors in our house. <laughs> so I just bought a pack of eight smoke detectors. We have them in all the bedrooms and the hallways now. So my pick, aside from the channel Technology Connections, is smoke detectors. Get a smoke detector in your house. So if something happens bad, maybe you won't regret it so much. <laughs> right? Seems reasonable. Yeah. Do you guys have smoke detectors? Uh, no, not in my house. But yeah. No, I do. And so have you Ch- checked it recently? Yeah, I was going to say to to follow up on that. If you do have smoke detectors, make sure you've changed the batteries recently. Exactly. Because one of my dogs, like when on ours, when the battery gets low, it will start beeping. And mm-hmm. for some reason, our one of our dogs knows what the smoke detector is. She knows that it's mm-hmm. like some kind of alert to get out of the house. I have no idea how she knows this. We've never had a fire, but. If it goes off, she will freak out. So I always try to make sure I change the batteries before it goes off because it will take hours to calm her down oh, once wow. that smoke detector goes off. So is it like fireworks for the dogs? Like, you know, that's how, you know, is it effect? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. All right. So my pick for the week, I can't remember if I picked this last time or not. I don't think I did. It's a book from Daniel H. Pink called Drive. The surprising truth about what motivates us. And it's really cool because he's breaking down the myths that we've, if you've been working in corporate America for very long, you're kind of familiar with all the different things that we use to try and motivate people. And he breaks it down that and shows with a lot of studies that have been done, how many of those are wrong. And then I haven't finished the book yet, but supposedly at the end of the book, he replaces those myths with things that actually work. So I'm enjoying reading that. It's been pretty insightful. And yeah, so that's my pick for the week. All right. So uh, I don't think I've read that book, but I've referenced it before because. (laughs) 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 There's also a YouTube video, I think, you know, a three minute version for those of us who are too stupid to read. Uh, We can can watch that. So. Or just hold out for the TikTok and get it in 60 seconds. Go. There we go. That's what <laughs> yeah. I really need. Yeah. yeah. All right. Tanmi, you have any picks for us? Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of funky one. So in YouTube, there's a channel called Electro Boom. And this guy from the Middle East, and what he does is basically he teaches you 
what not to do with electricity yeah so he <laughs> so he so last week he just took out a haze wire and he just you know teaches everyone what not to do like you know how do you take it out how do you make you know like you know some thermal cutter from you know haze wire he literally you know gets electrocuted at least 10 times in a video it's it's really cool to watch and it's really fun yeah and he teaches he teaches you literally about how you know physics of it works and like you know what's the formula for you know some voltage you know how exactly you know or like current flow blah 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 stuff proper you know one on one on physics and some fun go check it out guys it's really fun yeah right on that's awesome all right cool well i think we've got ourselves an episode tanmay thank you so much for joining us it's been a great it's a great time chatting with you my pleasure man yeah all right so in the words of the famous philosopher forrest gump that's all i got to say about that we'll see y'all next time <laughs> yeah sure have a nice day guys Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.